This morning, it's good to be at Bethel with you. It's always great to be able to worship the Lord with others of faith and to uh, be grateful together. You know, one of the things is, uh, that we can do today is that we can be grateful to the Lord together. You know, we can have a, a common uh, gratitude being lifted up before him throughout the day. And uh, something I wanted to do a while ago, and I, I, I don't know that I ever did, but I just wanted to express, you know, a few months removed uh, personal appreciation and gratitude for all of those who blessed our staff here. I think that uh, they, it was an overwhelming response, and we certainly appreciate all of, all of those who are part of our staff, appreciated all the... Uh, the tokens and, and gestures and generosities that were shared here. And uh, so I wanted to just personally, from on behalf of others and for myself, say thank you. Uh, this morning as we've come here <clears throat> uh, to Bethel, uh, I've come to deliver God's word to you as he's given it to me. And I pray that uh, it will make a difference because God's word is intended to make a difference. And so if you have a Bible, you can follow along. If you have your phone, uh, you can follow the scriptures there. That's why I would suspect people would have their phones on at this point, right? (laughs) To be able to follow along in the Word. Aren't you glad you can catch up on Facebook after, right? Or Snapchat, or you can do away with it, but you can do that afterward. Amen. This is God's time, right? So this morning as we've come into the house of the Lord, I'd like to uh, talk about the habits of Christ and um, how his mission, was de- uh, his mission defined his priorities. And um, yesterday, Robin and I had an opportunity uh, to go, and I was somewhat reluctant. In fact, I wasn't going to go uh, because I just uh, wasn't feeling it. You ever get that way? You're just not feeling it, so you don't want to do it. So, uh, someone had, uh, we went out to see the Jesus Revolution, and it was it was very good. I've seen enough uh, cheesy Christian movies that I thought, well, is this another? And I appreciate Christian films, I do, but I am always a little um, little concerned when I go. And this was a was a great great uh, portrayal of a revival that took place across the United States. Uh, through what we would call the hippie movement uh, out in the, uh, you know, out in California and spread across the country. And uh, it was just real, real, real good stuff. And I would encourage, I don't like to, uh, to make any kind of endorsements about things because about the time I do, uh, then something in it will be something that someone will disapprove of. And so uh, I'm telling you that uh, I thought it was good and would be good uh, for all of us to be able to see. It really challenged me in many ways, and uh, I liked that. It wasn't just entertainment. It really had a message to it, and it spoke into my heart. It was, um, you know. So I'd encourage you, if you haven't, to maybe consider going and see. If you don't, at least uh, maybe have it in your home at some point whenever it's out of the theater. If you don't go to theaters, you you can go, um, but I, I wanted to see this uh, after Robin had convinced me uh, that I would be good for us to go. And um, so, uh, this morning as we look at this scripture, what, I, what I'm doing and what I usually do, so 
you have an outline in front of you, and God willing, we'll get through that. Um, but, um, you know, sometimes, uh, you know, Jeff, he can take a scripture and tear it apart 63,000 ways and get all these juicy insights out of it. And for me, I will, I will take a, uh, a theme and follow it, a narrative many of the times that are, 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 as it unfolds, it's like different fabrics uh, that support a narrative from scripture, you know, so it's not so much a, you know, a, a deep dive into a particular scripture, and I would encourage you to come on Wednesday nights. We have some great ministries, you know, Kevin has uh, the men's ministries uh, that meet, and that's always fruitful, and as I said, uh, Jeff, he's a great teacher, does a wonderful job with that. Uh, he's a blessing to uh, Bethel, and uh, we appreciate you, Jeff, and so <coughs> I... Um, I'm sure I probably give you some things that might uh, cause you some indigestion <laughs> from your scholarly perspective, but that's, you'll forgive me. You love me. Your love's, love covers a multitude of, you know. But anyhow, um, what was Jesus ordained to do? These are some questions I'd like to start out by asking. What was it that Jesus was ordained to do before time began? What uh, were the must-do things that were part of his mission. How did Jesus stay focused and on track, always cognizant of the Father's will? What is a person ordained by God to do with his or her life? And that would be you and I. What are you and I ordained by God to do? Because all of us are ordained, called and ordained by God to do something with our lives that serves the purpose uh, that he has put us here for. Uh, where is the blood of Christ revealed in, the, in our assignments among other people? You know, where is the blood of Christ introduced? Because really, you know, we live in a world that's overcome by guilt, by shame, uh, by people who are looking to uh, find an escape from the painful past or real, current realities. And, you know, as a um, follower of Christ, I still believe in the power of the blood of Jesus I don't think you can supplant or replace that with anything. I don't think there's any methodology, any kind of practice, any kind of approach uh, to this faith, from this faith-based movement that uh, can um, leave the blood of Christ out of that. Uh, What window of time and opportunity will be impacted by those who obey the calling of God and the assignment you know, Jesus lived in a particular time, he lived within a particular region, and his life uh, advanced, his messaging advanced the call of God in those times and in those places that he was given here on earth. You and I have been given one life, one. That's a pretty sobering thought. We've been given one life, none of us know. Uh, we, can, we can trace the beginning of it here, you know, but we don't know for certain when the end of it shall take place. And in between that period of time, uh, we have been given a calling to affect a specific ge- geographical location. And it might be broad. It might be a very narrow window. It might be a very concentrated place. But even in the concentrated areas where we've been called by God to uh, impact and affect the world in Christ, it never stays there. It always expands and goes well beyond that, that, uh, that um, 
What was that? What was the movie called, Ron? What we saw? Oh, Jesus Revolution. Yeah, I think I told you that. But uh, not you, everybody else. You always tell me first. So, uh, but anyhow, um, you know, it didn't stay there. It traveled across the country, you know, from one coast to another. And, uh, you know, revivals, they, they uh, you know, Brownsville is not what Brownsville was in the peak of its revivals, right? You understand that those things happen and there's an outpouring and there's a time and a season through which God does a particular and specific work as he has done throughout the history of the church. But even when, it, when, when, when Brownsville is not hosting and doing at the at the level or the measure of what it was what was happening there uh, those years ago. Uh, it doesn't mean that its impact and its fruit has ceased. That it always expands beyond that. And revival's meant to expand beyond where it starts. You know the idea that it's like a museum. Uh, and we always herald this place. Really what it does oftentimes is it turns places into a place of idolatry. Because, it, you know, we have to understand that God is not confined to a time and a place. That God uses times and places to do specific things as he desires to do through your life and my life. But whatever he does in the window of time that we have, in the places that he's assigned us to, even when we're gone, it doesn't doesn't stop there. The seeds are being sown and things are happening that will advance well beyond your days and my days and the places where we are serving. So, you know, as we, we think about this today, I'd like to know how is it that we as Christians can stay focused, that we can hear God that we can stay focused to what God reveals to us and that we can apply ourselves with faithfulness to the things that we have been placed here to do. The world is loaded with distractions. There are things that happen continuously to draw us away from that place of calling and assignment and focus. You know, things happen and, you know, it's not hard to, to be... Uh, our attention to be drawn in a lot of different ways and places and according to a lot of different thoughts and words and and things that go on. But we've got to stay focused on what it is God has called us to do. And, you know, maybe the starting point for that in your life today is, you know, prayerfully uh, uh, discerning what is it that God has gifted you to do. Because I believe that whatever God has gifted you to do will be directly proportionate uh, or, or will be directly related to what it is he's called you to do. We don't all have the same giftings. And so, you know, uh, as we think about what those giftings are, God gave and entrusted them to us to be utilized in a certain place during a certain time. And are we utilizing those resources? And um, so... When we think about the geographical region that was impacted by the gospel in Christ's day, there was a, 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 a place, uh, a location, a time throughout Galilee, throughout uh, Jerusalem, and you know, throughout the, the nation of Israel and well beyond uh, that Jesus' life had a direct influence upon as he continues to do in this day. Even in the realm of Samaria, Jesus had... A, an influence, and he had uh, had activity where others would have stayed away uh, because of their piety. Jesus chose to go, 
He had to go through Samaria. It was one of those things that he must do, and he did that. You know, and uh, I, I don't want to spend a lot of time on other things. I want to get into the scriptures here, uh, the scriptural points. But uh, I, I wanted to say, as I watched that film yesterday, you know, you saw in the church as people began to come into the church. And, you know, a lot of them were uh, messed up people. And, uh, you know, it made me feel very badly about what we have reduced, what I at times have reduced church to. It comes down to almost just being about us with little thought about those outside of us. It has become a consumer thing. It's more about what I want, what I like, what scratches my itch, and that's why I'm here, you know. And really, I I watched that picture and I saw as these, uh, you know, hippies came into the church, you know, it was very disruptive, it wasn't a subtle thing that took place. And I believe when we talk about revival, it's not going to be a subtle thing. It's going to be a very disruptive thing. It's going to be an unkempt thing. It's going to be something that kind of blows away our ideas of what this is all about, right? You know that. It's going to blow, it's going to blow them up. Because most of what we think about church is very narrow-minded, it's about what we want and how it suits me in life. And I'm saying that from the front to the back, guilty, right here, guilty. I come in here on a Sunday morning, and I have certain expectations of what will happen, and God sometimes shows me that it isn't much at all about me. And there was a story in this movie. These hippies came in, and they sat on the left one side of the church, and all the others, the regular churchgoers, sat on the other side. You had the suit and tie crowd on one side, and you had the bandanas and the and the jeans and the dye tie. Uh, the, what is it? Tie dyed something like that. Uh, on the other side, people without shoes. You know, people who were communal in their behavior, and they were just traveling about. And you know, automatically, I thought to myself how that might make me feel uncomfortable. Let's be honest, how many make you feel a bit uncomfortable? We say, oh, we welcome them all. We do until they come. That's what, ha- that's, you know, our theology doesn't often match up with the realities. Because then when they come in and they're somewhat different than what we are or what we think it should be, then it kind of, we got to rein it in. We got to take something. And they were saying that to, uh, what's his name, Chuck Smith. You got you to you rein this in. You know, this, this, this isn't going to work here. That's not the kind of church we are. And I, I remembered early on his, uh, his daughter had met this guy. Uh, what was his name? Lonnie Frisbee, okay? And uh, that's, a, I think, a real person. And, he, and uh, Greg Laurie came out of that movement. And, and, uh, and so when, when you looked at it, he, uh, uh, Chuck Smith's daughter picked him up. He was hitchhiking and... And, and Chuck Smith was very, very skeptical. His church was dying, you know. His church was withering like most churches who have become in, in, internally invested to the point where they exclude others outside. And it becomes more about what we're doing than the fact that the world's dying. You hear me? It becomes more about what we're doing than the fact that the world is dying without Christ. And so it was what Chuck Smith and his church were doing that was most important to him. Even if it really wasn't reaching anybody, it felt safe. 
And uh, I think as we, we watch this, he, his daughter picks up this guy, the hippie hitchhiking, and she had a fascination, but her parents were very strong about their positions on things as such, and so she was honoring, but she was still very intrigued by much of it, and she picked this fellow up, and by the time she she brought him home uh, to uh, meet her dad, and it was an interesting interaction because Chuck Smith was not at all inclined to the kind of person that was standing in his living room. And uh, But when he began to speak to him, this man began to speak about Christ in a way that became more flesh and blood. You know what I'm saying? It, 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 it was a Jesus that actually touched the earth, not one who was out there somewhere, but one that touched the earth. You know, Chuck Smith, and I don't know how much is dramatization, but in the movie, Chuck Smith walks, steps aside, excuses himself after some time, and he begins to weep. And it was the beginning of a realization in his mind and heart that God wanted to reach people beyond what we're comfortable with, the lost. And, uh, and so there, it built a relationship. And there's a story there. There are human imperfections that are brought out in this film. And, you know, there may be some differences of uh, uh, theology with some. But the basic thing is it was a contagious movement where people in simplicity were surrendering to Christ and they were they were getting they were being baptized on the on the off the shorelines of California by hundreds and hundreds of young people coming uh, and being baptized and the church exploded and so you know uh, Chuck Smith had said something at one point to the doors always open in this church for everybody and um and then he says, but the doors also open the other way too. And he says, uh, and so your people are free to come. And if you're uncomfortable where this is going, you're free to go. And so there were automatically a group of people who stood up and walked out because they couldn't get their hands around this, didn't understand it. And then there was one older gentleman, he stood up and there was this little pause in the, in the movie and, you know, Chuck Smith is watching this man and he's, you know, and I was wondering, so what's he going to do? And the man got up, stood up, and he went over and sat with the hippies. And, you know, and I thought about, you know, that's really, that was probably one of the highlights in the whole movie for me because, you know, he went and he sat with the hippies. And, you know, and over time, that church just blew out the doors and they couldn't, and they, and they had uh, secured a tent that was large and they had planned uh, to be able to utilize the tent for several months before it would, uh, they would need to do something different. And it was within a matter of, on the first week, it was so full. It was absolutely full. I mean, it was just full to overflow. And, uh, you know, it challenged me because it's exactly the challenge I believe that we, the church, need today. We've got to stop handing out pacifiers in our churches it's time that we follow the true calling of God wherever it leads us to go, whatever it calls us to become. We don't need necessarily more meetings, but we need more prayer. We need to be out there and among people so we know who those lost folks really are. 
We need to engage people who are messed up with the idea that all of us apart from Christ are messed up and without hope. And only in Christ do we have hope. We don't have to clean people up so that we can make them churchable because sometimes churchable people can be the worst kind of congregants. I, remember, I say that because I was sitting in a board meeting, not here. <laughs> We're never here. We always talk about it after we leave. So anything you give me here, I can take somewhere else. But uh, anyhow, I was sitting there, and there were certain uh, demographics that, uh, you know, were interested in coming to the church or had come into the church. And, I, you know, just some side conversations. And, you know, there's always meetings outside the meetings. That's a given. You can count on it. Uh, and so the one gentleman says, you know, they're just not churchable people. And, uh, and I thought, that's, that's really sad. Because I don't know if we really understand this. None of us are churchable without the grace of God. Because there's nobody here because you were good enough. It doesn't matter if your parents, your grandparents, your uh, grandparents, grandparents, your aunts, your uncles, George Washington. Maybe you were related to him in some way. But if you don't come through grace, you don't come at all. If I don't come through the grace of Christ, faith in the Lord Jesus, I don't come at all. And so the path to get here for all of us comes through Christ. And the beautiful thing about grace is it makes that path to Christ available no matter where people are. Aren't you grateful for that? You know, it's just a good thing to know. But anyhow, that's said. Priority one for Jesus was the Father's business. Jesus made a series of I must statements, okay? I must And so, you know, Jesus could say, I must, because it was something that he knew was central to why he had been sent here. Luke 2.49, it says, and he said to them, why do you seek me? He's talking to his parents. Remember, they had been in, in, in back, they had come back to, uh, to Jerusalem for the, for the feast. And as they had left, uh, Jesus had been uh, left behind and they didn't know it. And so he says, why do you seek me? Did you not know that I must be about my father's business? You know, 12-year-old young man talking to the religious leaders and elders in the temple, probably blowing them away. He's learning and blowing them away. Jesus learned and he grew. The Bible says that he grew in wisdom and in stature and in favor with God and man. So Jesus received But Jesus also probably, out of what he received, also uh, served up some very profound responses that were challenging to those he was talking to. And so, from the very beginning, Jesus had a consciousness that he had to be about his father's business. And really, that's what we're on this earth at this time to be about. What's that? How all things done? Only what's done for? How's that going? What? You can't remember. Is that why you're looking at your shoe? And uh, anyhow, one life to live will soon be passed. Only what's done for Christ will last. No truer statement. That doesn't mean that the, only the church stuff that you do will last. It means the things that you do out of and for Christ, regardless of whether it's at work, 
in your relationships, in your entertainment, in your vocation. Only those things will remain. So, you know, Jesus wanted to focus on the things that were eternally significant. And as we look at what's eternally significant, the souls of mankind are eternally significant. Every living soul will spend an eternity somewhere. And there's going to come a time when we get to heaven and some of those who were dressed like bums on this earth or the least recognized, maybe not dressed like bums, but were, were of note for very little, if nothing, will be the princes of the kingdom. And you know, and that's why I believe that the first will sometimes be last and the last will be first. You can take that any way you wish, but Jesus actually said there would be a reversal of some form in that future economy and kingdom. The only reason for not being about our Father's business is a lack of desire, commitment, and devotion to God. The Father's business is not about milking the clock but working until our assignment is done. This business is not, uh, this, this, that business is not to try to figure out how much time is left that we must work, but to work until the time is done. I don't work to secure my salvation, but I get to work because of what the grace of God has introduced into my life. It's not about what we have to do, it's what we get to do, and it's what we get to do that advances the kingdom of God in the regions and the places where we will live our lives. The Father's business implies purpose. Our Father's business is greater than anything we would otherwise give ourselves to do. Our assignment is our father's is that our father's business is a sacred trust a series of kingdom objectives set and established by the father you see life is a sacred trust it is a sacred trust you only get one and when you are born anew you you have get, been given the opportunity to carry forth a sacred calling under a sacred calling and and carrying forth a sacred trust priority 2 the pre uh, crucifixion gospel message you know jesus preached the pre crucifixion gospel because he had not yet been crucified and so he preached this gospel, and in Luke chapter 4, it, it, you know, as Jesus, he had a very, very uh, active season in his Galilean ministry and in Capernaum. He had, been, he, had, he had preached the word powerfully under anointing when he was there in Luke 4. He, he had a man who was demonized who came calling out to him, and he delivered him. He brought healing to uh, Peter's mother-in-law during that time. He healed many who were sick and he delivered many who were demonically possessed. And, he, and then he went to a deserted place. There has to be that chemistry, that, that divinely established balance for all of us that it's not about do, do, do because you will never be everything, everyone's everything all the time. In fact, you will not be everyone's flavor. Can you live with that? Because if you're, you feel like your calling is to be everyone's flavor, you're going to live a very defeated life. 
What Jesus did was geographically assigned. In Luke 4.43, it says, but he said to them, they came looking for him, and he said, hey, you know, primarily they're waiting for you. You're not done yet, are you? There's still a lot of people that are looking for you to come back. And he says, I must preach the kingdom of God to the other cities also, because for this purpose I have been sent. Jesus moves on. We often say Jesus healed them all. That's not true. Jesus did not heal them all. Jesus left before some were healed. Jesus left before some were delivered. So it's never a true statement. When Jesus intended to heal them all, he did. But when Jesus was moving in concert with a larger picture, the advancement of the kingdom, he moved on and he didn't necessarily heal them all. The, the lame man who was at the gate, beautiful, right? Uh, Jesus could have healed him in his lifetime, but he didn't. And it was when Peter and John came by that the man fixed his eyes upon uh, them and he was expecting to receive something from them. And Peter uh, said, silver and gold we don't have, but such as we have we give you in the name of Jesus of Nazareth. Rise up and walk. Got something better, right? How many think the lame man got something better than than a handout? He got a divine hand up. That he got up onto the feet that had not experienced the joys of walking, let alone leaping and walking, walking and leaping and praising the Lord. There is but one single message. It is the, the gospel of the king and his kingdom. It's not my message. It's not your message. It's the king's message. It is the message of the kingdom, right? It's the message of the kingdom. It's not about, it's not about, uh, um, oh, uh, who did he say? Some are after Paul and Cephas and Apollos. And then the sanctimonious crowd were with Jesus. I hope so. I hope so. Jesus identified this purpose above all others. In Mark 13, 10 it says, And the gospel must be first preached to all nations. Romans 10, 9 through 15, that if thou confess with thy mouth the Lord Jesus and believe in your heart that God has raised him from the dead, you shall be saved. For with the heart one believes unto righteousness and with the mouth confession is made unto salvation. For the scripture says, whoever believes on him will not be put to shame for there is no distinction, do you hear this? There's no distinction between Jew and Greek For the same Lord over all is rich to all who call upon him. He has more than enough for everybody. For whoever calls on the name of the Lord shall be saved. How then shall they call on him of whom they've not believed? And how how shall they believe in him of whom they have not heard? And how shall they hear without a preacher? And how shall they preach unless they are sent? And you know who the preachers are? They're you. The heralds, the messengers, those who broadcast the story of Christ. Don't need to have, you don't need to go to Bible school. You don't need to have a degree. You just need to know that Jesus Christ has changed your life and he's given you a story. And the foundation and the substance of that story grows out of the word of God.
It is a beautiful gospel that the Spirit delivers into the languages of the heart. This is not, a, this is not an American gospel. It's not a Western gospel written by men of limited or greater understanding or skill. It is what the Scripture says it is. It is the Word of God. Priority three, all roads lead to Calvary. I don't know if you got the first two. I don't, can't remember if I said what. Priority two was the pre-crucifixion gospel. Priority one uh, for Jesus was the Father's business. Priority three, all, and this isn't an order. It's just my sermon order, right? You understand that. Priority three, all roads lead to Calvary. Luke 12, 30, or 13, verse 32 through 34, and he said, Go tell that fox, Herod, uh, behold, I cast out demons and perform cures tomorrow, today, tomorrow, and the third day I shall be perfected. Nevertheless, I must journey today, tomorrow, and the day following, for it is, uh, it cannot be that the prophets should perish outside of Jerusalem. You see, he said, I must journey today tomorrow and the day following. And really, this covers a narrative that was called the travel narrative found in the Gospel of Luke where Jesus was on a long journey, uh, was on journey from Galilee to Jerusalem. And so those steps were ordered by God and and along the way, he delivered the, the, the kingdom. He delivered the power of the kingdom. He healed and he set people free, proclaimed the gospel, and he did leave And he did leave that location, but he did not leave Galilee because he was afraid of Herod. He moved in step with the Father's timing. We cannot run away from what it is that God has called us to do, nor can we ignore it when the calling is made made sure and it's different than what we had thought it was. So either regard, we've got to be centered in it, whether it is to remain where we're at or to move from where we're at into something other that God has called and purposed us to do. You've got to stay centered in it. Jesus' uh, journey and activities were in alignment with the appointment of the cross. John 3.14, just as Moses lifted up, was lifted up in the wilderness, so shall the Son of show, uh, let me say this, so the uh, Son of Man must be lifted up. And that would take place upon that cross outside uh, the city. Keeping sight of that which is set before us, the target of life is centered in the person, work, and resurrection of Christ. His appearance was the divine insertion into the fallen world on a redemptive course of love. Roman, or John 15, 13 says, Greater love has no one than this, than to lay down one's life for his friends. Amen. Priority four, expansion of the kingdom beyond Jerusalem. John 10, 16, and other sheep I have, which are not of this fold, them also I must bring. And they will hear my voice, and there will be one flock and one shepherd. This is a reference to the Gentiles. And you know something? If Jesus didn't recognize that there were other sheep outside of Jerusalem, you and I wouldn't be here today. How about that? You are only here because you and I are only here because Jesus expanded the reach of the gospel among others. Because, you know, that's why I say this didn't start with we Americans. 
We got on the, on the boat late. This is a kingdom gospel that has nothing to do with the Americanized version of Christianity that really is more consumer than it is missional. It's more consumer, and you know why I say that? It's more about what we want in many of our churches. That's why you got people hopping from here to there to everywhere else because it's what I want. <laughs> you know, the cross wasn't convenient. Jesus wasn't voted man of the year. When they slapped him in the face and they ripped the hair out of his face and they spat upon him, it wasn't because they were esteeming him as he should be. It was because he was not from this world. He brought a kingdom gospel. Amen? And we are here because of it. The Jews didn't want him because he was, uh, he was uh, considered to be a blasphemous fraud in their presence. And so Jesus wanted them to know that this kingdom was going to be expanded even beyond them. How many of us welcome the Lord? You know, and if you say that today, how many of you welcome all of the people for whom Jesus died? You can't say we welcome the Lord if we don't welcome those for whom he died. If we're not missional and we're not out there living the life among those who don't know Christ, then we really can't say I love the Lord because to love him is to love what he loves. And to love those for whom he died. You know, I say that because this really charged, it did, you know, it's interesting that oftentimes the things that we are less reluctant to do are the things that God reveals himself to us in. And I was less reluctant to go see a movie yesterday. You know what sold me on the movie, and I'll tell be honest, sometimes people come to church and it may not be for the right motives, but you know, when they first come in, because you know, but I hope after you've been here a while, your motives change, right? But when they first come in, it might be for something different. I went to see that film because they, we went to Leidersburg and they have reclining seats. And I told Robin before I went that the seats would provide perfect sleep. And I got to tell you, I didn't sleep any. And it challenged me. I like that kind of thing. I'm not a, I like the feel-good things too, but I like things that really kind of stick me sometimes and with a point that I need to be stuck with. <clears throat> so Jesus died for the non-Jewish nations and he expanded the reach of the gospel in Galatians 3, 27. For as many as you as were baptized into Christ have put on Christ there is neither Jew nor Greek, there is neither slave nor free, there is neither male nor female, for you all are one in Christ Jesus. When it comes uh, to that spiritual union with Christ, it's not about our, our, our uh, ethnicity or our gender. And I'm not saying, I'm not, in, please, do not, do not interpret that any other way than this. In spirit, we are baptized into one body in Christ, right? When we get to heaven, there'll be no marriage nor giving in marriage. And so when we look at it, I, I am not advocating something that, you know, please don't run in either direction with that. Revelation 5, 9, and they sang a new song. You are to take the scroll and to open its seals, for you were slain and have redeemed us to God by your blood out of every tribe and tongue and people and nation. And that's because God loved the sheep that were not in the, in the sheepfold in Jerusalem. 
And I won't read all this, but Peter, remember, he, had, he, he fell into a trance. And he was uh, lying on the roof, and they had the sheet that was let down from heaven and out of the, uh, that were bound in, in four corners and descending upon the earth. There were all kinds of four-footed uh, animals of the earth, wild beasts, creeping things, and birds of the air. And a voice came to him, rise, Peter, kill and eat. No, I said I wasn't going to, but I am. But Peter said, not so, Lord, for I have never eaten anything common or unclean. And the voice spoke to him a second time. What uh, God has cleansed, you shall not call common. This was done three times and the object was taken up. You see, God was making a point that the church was for more than the Jews. And the church is more than for us. It's great to identify with this as your church as long as you understand that it never gives you the right to lock the doors to someone else. The priority of the Messianic prophecy, and I say that to you because God, he hit me with that. The best priority of the Messianic prophecy and uh, was the fifth, I believe, Mark fourteen forty-eight through 50. He says, am I leading a rebellion when they came in the garden to arrest him? That I have come out, that you have come out with swords and clubs to capture me. Every day I was with you teaching in the temple courts and you did not arrest me. He says, but the scriptures must, must be fulfilled. Jesus knew Judas. He knew the religious elites and he knew that the mob was wrong. But the point of the matter was he also knew that the scriptures had to be fulfilled through him. And I'll share this with you. There are hundreds of passages in the Old Testament that explicitly uh, point to, uh, coming, to the coming Messiah that Jesus perfectly fulfilled. And here in Mark, it may have been referring to what was said in Psalm 41.9. Even my close friend in whom I trusted, who ate my bread, lifted up his heel against me, referring to Judas... Isaiah 53, 8, by oppression and judgment, he was taken away. You know, Luke 24, 44, he said to them, this is what I told you while I was still with you. Everything must, hear that, must be fulfilled that it is written about me in the law of Moses, the prophets, and the Psalms. Priority number six, divine appointments. And I'm getting near the end if you're curious. It's 11, 12 a.m., um, Luke 19, 5, when Jesus reached the spot, he looked up and said to Zacchaeus, come down immediately, I must, I must stay at your house today. You know, uh, and, I'll, and I'll put in with that what happened in John 4, two different things, but it's kind of the same in some ways. And it says in John 4, 4, and he must needs go through Samaria. Then cometh he to a city of Samaria, which is called Sychar, near to the parcel of ground that Jacob gave to his son Joseph. Now Jacob's well was there, and Jesus, therefore being wearied with his journey, sat thus on the well, and it was about the sixth hour. Both of these were divine appointments. And Jesus said, I've got to keep these appointments. God has set divine appointments in front of you. You know, that, that really gives us a little bit of, uh, uh, calls us to be a little more attentive, a little more discerning of how we live each day. 
Because if we're discerning and attentive to what, where we're at, we understand that in those moments, God is going to bring divine appointments or usher us into divine appointments. And, there, and those divine appointments, and I believe in divine appointments, you say, well, I don't believe it doesn't matter because Jesus had two of them right here. And Jesus kept those divine appointments uh, you know, first of all, uh, he looks at Zacchaeus. You know, he goes to, uh, through. Uh, he's traveling down the road, and the mob of cra- the mob of people were pressing in, as they always do when Jesus is in the house. They they pressed in to see to hear as he walked down the road. Everybody trying to hear this man who had spoken like no other had ever spoken. The man who performed miracles and signs and wonders. A man who was able to raise the dead. You know they wanted to see this man and Zacchaeus being short of stature. He had to climb, he, he thought it out and he climbed up on the limb of a sycamore tree so that he could gain a vantage point of Jesus as he was coming through. You know, I, I think about this experience and there's discussion as to whether or not Zacchaeus really experienced salvation on this day or really the revelation of salvation was brought into his home you know, I, I like to be optimistic. I, I, I want to believe that Zacchaeus received salvation. And if I'm wrong, I'm okay with that. But I want to believe when it says today salvation has come to this house, I want to believe that that was a sweeping moment that swept through that home and tr- touched Zacchaeus' life in a way that he had never been touched before, introduced to God in a way that he had never seen him before, regardless of what Zacchaeus did from that moment on, he had met with a Christ that he had only heard about. He, and you know, there are a lot of people who have never met Christ personally who have only heard about him. You know, we assume that everyone's going to come running to Jesus. It says, how shall they call on him of whom they've not heard? And how shall they preach without a preacher? And how shall they preach except they be sent? So that really kind of makes it pretty clear. Everyone can call on the one whom they've heard of. And everyone can only hear, can only really hear about him by someone telling him. And in order for someone to tell them, people have to respond to the call that God has placed on them. Jesus has saved us from the penalty of sin. Jesus has saved us from the power of sin. And Jesus saves us from the prevailing, hovering, uh, uh, odorous presence of sin in our lives. Aren't you glad for that? That Jesus washes away the stink of sin. And he gives us that fragrance of new. Old things pass away. Behold, all things become new. And that, 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 can, that is both true instantaneously and over time. We are separated out of that sin nature the moment we come to Christ, but then we grow in the likeness of Christ as we are sanctified both instantaneously and progressively over time. He says, today salvation has come to this house. So whether or not Zacchaeus had a true conversion experience, and it always tickles me that everybody has to kind of find uh, some, some reason to not believe that this guy could have been saved. Isn't that, I hope we as Christians aren't trying to dig that out. I want to believe, how many of you want to believe that Zacchaeus is going to be in heaven with us? And when I say us, do you believe that you're going to be there? 
I always tell, you know, I've said more and more, uh, you know, uh, if, if you're going somewhere and you don't know how to get there and, and you stop to, to get directions, you want to talk to someone who can tell you how to get to your destination. There's a whole world of people who want to go to heaven and have no idea how to get there. They've been told a lot of lies. They've been told lies even in the churches. You say, well, that now you're crossing the line. No, no, no let me tell you something. If you're, if you're never introduced to, to the saving power of Jesus Christ, and you're taught all kinds of doctra, dogma and all kinds of things, but never introduced to the saving power of Christ, you have been lied to. Because how could people come to us as the church of Jesus Christ and never be introduced to the Savior, never been invited, never been told that there's a God who loves you and we want you to know he loves you because we're going to demonstrate his love for you. How many say, God, help me to be better to demonstrate the love that you have for other people? Turn my contempt and my hatred for others into redeeming love. He says, today salvation has come to this house. And you know, I think about that. Salvation is something more, it's not less, and there's nothing better, but um, we're, it's more than being saved from sin. It's being brought into a new life. Jeff, I think you kind of said sometimes in our communions and other things, we focus a lot on the salvation, but we pay little attention to what God is going to do beyond that. And so, you know, this is really important, and I'm almost done here. It's 11.20, I think. 11.20. Just think about that. If we do get you out of here within the next five minutes, you may beat, may, might beat the, uh, the, the Baptist to the buffet bar. See, now some of you are really tense. <laughs> I'm just kidding. I hope you, yeah, <laughs> don't you hate it when they get in front of you? Uh, yeah, I mean, uh, you know, we like to let others first, only not at, at the buffet. Uh, Jesus and uh, divine appointments. Think about this day of divine appointments. This is something that played out during the, the course of his time uh, there. Jesus and the rich man, right? Jesus and the rich man. Zacchaeus wanted to see Jesus. And what if, what, if, uh, what if all these things that Jesus had experienced, all of them, he said, well, you know, today, mm, I can't fit you in today. Just don't die and go to hell today, right? <laughs> It's not on my time, you know, but he knew that every moment that God gave him an assignment was the moment that he was to act on it. God had given us the grace and the strength. Zacchaeus wanted to see Jesus, needed to, and it was within uh, the divine appointment of God. Now, here's the last part of this. Uh, well, the woman at the well, Jesus came. He was there at the noon hour. Came. He had to go through that area. As you know the story, uh, Samaritans and Jews did not get along all that well together because the Babylonians, when they conquered uh, southern Israel, they exported, uh, they deported all of the, the, the uh, certain hand-selected Jews uh, back with them, and uh, those who remained were considered to be the uh, lower rungs of society. And in these remaining lower rungs of society, the people intermarried with other people outside of the outside of their uh, ethnicity and religion. And uh, you know they were regarded pretty much as half-bred dogs. And uh, 
in that culture, and that's a shame. It's a tragedy, and it divided people, and many caused great harm. But Jesus was never put off by that. Aren't you glad for that? Jesus doesn't care. If, you know, how many of us think, uh, Jesus loves the little children of the world, yet black and yellow, red and white. I was going to say green, but uh, I don't think that was one of them. But uh, I'm going to ask Tammy to come. Divine interruptions. Uh, divine interruptions is what we sometimes see them more as, the, as uh, more than divine appointments. But anyhow, he goes to the well, meets up with this woman around noon during the hot part of the day, and many others probably would have waited to a cooler part of the day to come out. Uh, but Jesus was there. He was thirsty, and there was a woman who came, probably because of the stigma that was attached to the way she had lived her life, had five husbands living with a man who was not her husband. And yet Jesus valued her, and, and, and in his mission was the day that he would meet this woman at the well of Sychar, which holds so many, so many significant moments in scriptural history. He meets this woman there, and he has this conversation with her, a theological conversation, but he also touched on many other things, and I don't think we know what all they talked about, because she told uh, the people that she went back to, to come see a man who told me all that I ever did. You know, we know he told her that she had five husbands. He, He had a discourse about the differences and distinctions of belief, and I'm sure there are a lot of things that Jesus conversed that were very personal. She tells her community about Jesus, and uh, they come to hear him, and they never heard anybody like him, never met anybody like him. You know, that's the great thing when you meet Jesus, you never met anybody like Jesus. I guarantee that. You never met anybody like Jesus. You know, I remember in that story, what was his name, Lonnie Frisbee, Lonnie, Lonnie Frisbee, you know, it kind of seemed like things kind of somewhat might have gone to his head. You know, he had been an instrumental in, in what was happening, and he felt like the movement couldn't move without him, you know. And um, he kind of forgot that God had drawn him out of brokenness. And, you know, if you, Greg Laurie's story is very impressive story of grace, tremendous story of grace. But Jesus does something in a person's life that nothing else can ever do. No one else can ever do. How many of you believe that? Jesus does things in people's lives that no one else, nothing else, no other experience can ever do. So if you believe that, then why aren't we sharing that with people? I'm not saying you're not. I'm just saying in general, you know, uh, we're in a comfort society. And it's easy to get swallowed up. I like comfort. I like those big reclining, puffy black chairs. Only thing I wondered about the whole thing was what bugs were crawling on me. And uh, I'm just kidding. You never know what, what you're going to get into. But, but it was a divine appointment, so I assume the Lord kept me clean. Divine interruptions, I'm going to ask you to stand with me. We're just going to close with a simple prayer. What you do with this is really far bigger than what you'll do with it here today. You've got to take this out with you. You have an outline. You can go home and look at it. You can pray over things that I haven't said, and the Holy Spirit of God will speak things that will speak into the deeper recesses of your heart, far deeper than maybe anything I could articulate. 
Divine interruptions are divine appointments. Samaritans were a racially mixed society with Jewish and pagan ancestry. They worshiped Yahweh as did other Jews, but their religion was not mainstream Judaism. They accepted only the first five books as canonical and their temple was on Mount Gerizim instead of Mount Zion in Jerusalem. So the Jews despised them for that and other reasons. But Jesus went there because he had a divine appointment. Sometimes the people that God will draw us into an appointment with will be so different than we are, so politically different, so socially different, so religiously different. Uh, You know, maybe they'll just be people that for some unknown reason are known that we find ourselves having a strong distaste for. And Jesus said, that's who I want you to go to. Divine interruptions can take place anywhere at any time. But you got to, we got, you and I have to be prayerful, discerning, and obedient and sensitive to people because if we're not, we're going to miss them. Divine interruptions have a purpose, a kingdom purpose, a purpose that's so much bigger than the little things that would persuade us to not engage it. Divine interruptions bring about a change. Zacchaeus experienced the change. The woman at the well experienced the change. And then ultimately the whole community embraced Jesus, not because of what they heard from her, but because her word was a seed. It was an invitation into knowing more about Jesus. But it was when they came to him because of this woman's testimony that they heard for themselves that which would change their lives. Father in heaven, I thank you today for your heart. Because your heart, Lord, is uh, what you want my heart to become. You want your heart to beat in my life. You want your heart to become my heart, Lord. And I look at that statement and I realize how far I've got to go for that to happen. My, my, My uh, heart, Lord God, is uh, at times infinitely removed from where yours is. My taste and my distaste for people and things sometimes is greater than your love flowing through my soul. Because, Lord, I've shut myself off to it. I pray, Lord, that we'll see that the church doesn't have to labor in it, it doesn't have to labor under the yoke of uh, personal agenda to grow. It just needs to serve faithfully within its calling. We don't need to make it more difficult because there are already attached things, persecution, uh, exclusion, things that will come naturally because or uh, supernaturally. Uh, or whatever, you know, they will conflict with the supernatural and the spiritual. But we, we don't have to make add to it, you know. That's human nature. We always got to make it more difficult. We always got to do something else. We always got to jump from here to there to there to there. And it's exhausting. It's exhausting. But I truly believe that as we as the church begin to really allow you to tear down the walls in our hearts, Lord God, that people will be drawn to the Jesus that is uh, just uh, being broadcast everywhere this church disperses to. But something is going to be 
happening dynamically, supernaturally in our interactions, and we are going to see opportunities that we've been missing. You see, you know, the Jesus said the fields are white and they're ripened unto harvest. You know, it's never God's desire that that ripened harvest uh, wilt and die in the, in the fields. And if it really is there, then we really are missing it. Because Jesus said it really is there. And if it really is there, why are we missing it? And you know, you you automatically can look at the church as a whole and say, we're missing it because my church doesn't do this, or we don't do that, or we don't do this. No, you are the church, so start doing it. Stop talking about it. Stop blaming other people or things for what you are not doing. Because you are the church. What are you talking about? The church isn't Bethel Assembly of God under the steeple. It's not, uh, it's not that. It's not that. This is a place where the church gathers. This is where the church is taught. This is where the church is discipled. This is a community of believers. It's not an exclusive club. Father, I pray that today, I want everyone, if you would, just, uh, you know what was great? These people, when people were getting baptized, and I assume that a lot of this was factual, you know. As those were in the water being baptized, you know, uh, you know, we always, you know, we need it done a certain way. You know, we need it done the biblical way. I understand that. But when they were, when they were being baptized, the people were raising their fingers up to the Lord and pointing upward. In mass, in mass, these people are getting baptized and they're shouting and they're clapping and they're rejoicing. They took their hands down long enough to clap, then they put them back up. But they were, they were just so jubilant that people were experiencing the grace of God. And you see, that joy has to precede people coming to Jesus as much as it follows. Because if they don't see the joy now, they're not, we're not going to have the joy of seeing them come to Jesus. God, baptize us fresh into the joy that is your joy, Lord God. Because for the joy that was set before you, you endured that cross. You ran straight through to, the, to fulfill that which, Lord, you could have been deterred from doing. Man and devils and demons and principalities worked to derail you from following the mission that you were called to serve. And the devil's still busy today. But God is going to awaken the church to the fields that are white, ripened unto harvest. And God is going to raise up laborers. He's going to raise up people. The problem has never been the availability of people who would come to Christ. It's always been in the shortage of those who are willing to go. Jesus said that. He did. He said the laborers are few said the harvest is plentiful, but the laborers are few. Are you, have you identified with the real must things that God has put you here to do? Are you here chasing around a thousand other things that are so far less important that you have forgotten about the fact that there are things that God has put you here to absolutely do in places that he has called you to, to people he has called you to? Thank you for listening. You can find us online at BethelAG.com or on Facebook at Bethel Assembly of God, Littlestown, Pennsylvania.
Our services are also live streamed every Sunday on our YouTube channel, Bethel AG Littlestown, Pennsylvania.